welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan and I am your host. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I hope everyone is having a beautiful day. I was late dropping my kids off to their co-op this morning because we saw a Cooper's hawk in the tree across in my neighbor's yard and um, I lost like, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. I lost like eight minutes, let's say. Uh, with my kiddos identifying the hawk and then looking up the bird call on YouTube because it was calling and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a Cooper's hawk, but I actually don't see them that often. So that was an exciting start to the morning, but then we were late to co-op, um, but it was okay. So what cool thing did you see today? <laughs> I would honestly, I'm being honest, you should email me and let me know because that would be awesome. Um, or join the Patreon and join our, our Discord and uh, we have a Discord, a chat just for patrons of Neurodiverging. Um, and it starts at a dollar a month. So you can join the very lowest tier, uh, support the podcast with a dollar a month and join our Discord and tell me what cool thing <laughs> you saw this week. I would love to know. We're at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. And a huge thank you to my patrons for supporting this podcast. Could not do it without you. So deeply appreciate you. You're just fantastic people. So thank you. <laughs> So today we have Just Me on My Lonely again, and I am talking about why traditional work in the 40-hour-a-week office job or blue-collar job sense is hard for a lot of us autistic people. So if you are interested in that, stay tuned. Before we get started, I just want to do a quick plug. If you go to neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events, I am offering now a lot of group coaching classes free uh, monthly webinars on different topics related to neurodivergence and many more things. So if you're interested in all of what neurodiverging has to offer, not just this podcast, I'd really encourage you to go pop over and check it out. Some of the offerings are paid, some of them are free, um, but they're all there on neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events, all one word. And also, if you are not on my mailing list, can I encourage you to take a moment and go to neurodiverging.com and sign up for the mailing list? I am not a spammy emailer. I email two or four times a month, depending on what's coming up. And that is a place to get a heads up when there's new podcast episodes, but also get a heads up when there's new webinars you can sign up for, new group coaching pro programs that you might be interested in, or anything else I'm doing in the community. Um, places where I'm like a guest on other podcasts, um, you know, articles that I think are interesting or might be valuable to you. So if you're not on my mailing list, go check that out. It's a, it's a fun place to be, and I would love to see you there. Okay, so let's get into the stuff we're talking about today. So a lot of folks, <laughs> and this is just the curse of social media, so be aware of it. Don't compare yourself to other people. But I get a lot of emails and like Instagram comments and things that are saying, you do so much, you, you, know, you do all these webinars, you're parenting, you do this podcast, like how can you do it all? Don't you get like overwhelmed? Um, how can you be autistic and still um, manage all this stuff? And I wanted to kind of address that in a podcast because I think that a lot of people drastically overestimate, first of all, how much I can get done, but also how much it's quote unquote normal to get done in a day or a week or a month. And I also want to talk more about why um, even quote-unquote, high-functioning autistics like me. <laughs> I'm high-functioning, quote-unquote, because you can't see all the supports I need, and that's why we're doing this podcast. Um, why even folks who do okay, who are low support needs, who don't need as much extra help as, you know, other people on the autism spectrum, um, 
even us, still have trouble working in the traditional sense of what work means. And I want to talk about that today because um, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about how autism can affect how we work, the ways we work, um, the places that we're, you know, working well and just not good, the, the, the skills we have and the skills that we don't have. Um, and again, I'm not going to speak in this episode for any other autistic people. I am just speaking about my own experience with work here. But I do want to talk about it because I think, the, again, the more that we talk about our own experiences, the more information is out there for other autistics who are trying to learn about what might be good for them and what might help them the best. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my work history, what's gone well for me, what's gone terribly for me, and how I've gotten to this place in kind of my work life right now. Okay, so that's this podcast. So first, let me talk about um, when I was in school, I'm not going to say school was a great experience for me because it was not. I, I didn't enjoy it very much at all. But I did okay. What worked really well for me, though, was the structure, right? You go to each class at each period. You know where you're sitting for lunch. You know what to expect to eat for lunch. And the only places I really had trouble at school were the gap spaces. When you're supposed to just be chatty or like at recess, I had no idea what to do. I often filled in those times just by reading because it was like people wouldn't talk to me. I could focus on something I enjoyed and it made, it created structure for me, right? So when I got to college, I had like the first semester or the first year, I did okay, but I was very depressed. I did not understand how to create a structure for myself. I mean, I did okay in school. I don't mean I did okay in terms of wellness. So let me just rephrase that. I did okay in terms of passing my classes and getting good grades and maintaining uh, the small scholarship that I'd been awarded because that was very important to me because we needed, I needed that money in order to um, get, get through college. And that, that was a, an important goal at that point in my life. Um, but I didn't do okay in terms of mental health. And again, I was undiagnosed at this time. Um, I also had some other mental health, or not mental health, but some other physical health stuff going on that was undiagnosed at this time that I did not have support for. And so I was constantly fatigued. I did not understand how to structure um, my life in a way that supported me. I did not understand when and how I should be sleeping, um, how to cluster classes. I have since learned that I do best when I can work really hard for a couple hours and then rest really hard for a couple hours. But when I started college, I would, you know, take a class and then have a two hour break and then take a class and have a two hour break. That might work fine for some folks, but it was a disaster for me. So, you know, again, this is very individual. This is just my experience. Some folks would do beautifully on that schedule. So it took me some time to learn about my own needs in terms of scheduling and how to create structures for myself. Um, But what I did find is that I have certain times of the day that I'm very on and very capable of doing things. This I think is normal across human neurotypes. And certain times of the day when I am like a slug and I cannot brain at all, my English is gone. Um, So I think that for many autistic people, again, I think this is normal for all neurotypes that we have high points of the day and low energy points of the day, right? Um, That's partly circadian rhythm, that's partly just biology um, and physiology. But for autistic people, I personally think that these high points and low points in terms of energy can be um, much more heightened <laughs> than, than the average uh, neurotypical person. So when I am on, I am on. And when I am off, I, I am off. Like I can't, I can't do anything. And so it took me some time to really learn about how to structure my days um, around those high and low points. And you are seeing me, obviously, as a, as a coach now, as somebody who has had 20 years to really nail in this is what works and this is what doesn't so if you're earlier in your journey um 
it's okay that you're not there yet. And I, my system doesn't even work for me 100% of the time. We're at like an 85 to 80% success rate, which I'm very content with, honestly. So let me talk about a little bit about my job history for you. And I have a couple of themes that I have noticed um, when I was thinking about because I do get these comments so often. Um, so I was really thinking about like, well, what didn't work for me in terms of my work history? And how does that apply to other autistic people I've worked with? Um, so here's what I'm gonna tell you about. I have worked, so I, I got a bachelor's in religion, um, which is like anthropology and sociology of religion history, um, not, not so much theology. And then I got minors in German, literature and language, and ancient Mediterranean studies, which is basically classics without all the languages. I did take Latin, but I didn't take like, you know, ancient Greek or anything. So very, <laughs> very autistic college profile, I have to say. Um, I loved college once I got a system going. I loved being able to pursue my own passions and really figure out what I enjoyed. Um, but I did not understand, and I still sort of don't understand, how to leverage a college education and the liberal arts into like work. Um, because it just, you know, it doesn't match anymore. But I wanted to teach, and at that time, it seemed like just getting a liberal arts bachelor's would be a good idea. When I got out of college, um, I was in Philadelphia, and I was trying to find just kind of any job, just any job, right, when I got out of college, because I was not ready to go to graduate school. Um, I had significant fatigue um, transitioning out of college. Um, I was having, again, uh, physical health problems that were not related to autism. Um, so I basically was like, okay, I'm going to get an apartment and I'm going to just find a job, any job, just like for a couple of years to get me across uh, until I figure out what I want to do next. Right. Um, <clears throat> I had a huge struggle with depression right out of college. And looking back, part of it was medical issues, but a lot of it was, again, the change in structure having to again refigure out okay now i live in a different place my roots are all different how i get to different places is all different my social support network from college had basically dissolved like a lot of people moved away or got jobs and weren't available anymore um the people i had lived with for several years uh moved on to do different things uh two out of four of them moved to different countries and one of them got married <laughs> so uh like very well dispersed um, so I really was just looking for an income and a way to like get food on the table. The first job I got, and this was very short-lived luckily, um, was a job with a um, a company that sold like engagement jewelry, um, engagement rings and wedding rings and stuff. Um, I did not, I basically temped there and then quit because although, and this is, I want to talk about this, although that they had um, a pretty good um, pay, and they had like a 401k and health insurance and all this stuff that you really want. Like straight, nowadays you really want it. But especially when I was straight out of college with a kind of useless degree in terms of a lot of these jobs I was looking at, um, it was like a really good opportunity. But what I found very quickly was that um, I do not like any kind of work where I have to um, subvert my own ethics <laughs> to do the job. And I think if you're autistic, you're probably nodding at me. And if you're neurotypical, you're probably like, well, all work requires you to, in some ways, to not be 100% truthful, right? Like when you think about the customer service space, right? You like, 
you have to say, oh, you know, I'm sorry that happened, even though I knew that product was faulty or a lot of people have returned this or whatever. And so obviously in like an industry that works with diamonds and gems, I was just like, no, this is not a good fit for me because not only is this material sourced unethically, but it's also like being sold unethically. And I was just like, nope, nope, nope. So that kind of takes me to my first theme when it comes to reasons that a lot of autistics have trouble with um, the workplace. I'll just say that frankly, is ethics are different. We do have some research and I'll put a link in the show notes below. We do have some research that um, autistic people and neurotypical people think differently about the social implications of lying. Um, autistic people tend to be, and this is something that I thought was a myth and just like putting us on a pedestal, um, but research-based, it does seem to be that at least some populations of autistic people are quote-unquote more honest, that we don't want to engage in subterfuge, we don't want to lie, and that we don't think lying is a reasonable way to get what we want. Um, in in a in society, right? In the family, in society, um, some of us obviously become good at lying anyway. Like I am a totally decent liar. I hate to say it, but it's true. Um, and some of us lie out of um, frustration at not being heard, right? So there are autistic people who are um, kind of chronic liars, and that behavior is usually developed over a number of years, where they are not being given the freedom to access what they need in like positive ways. And so they're gonna get it however they need to get it. And that might include lying. But generally, autistic people don't like to lie and uh, are not going to do it unless they're forced to. Um, again, this is like a broad statement and people are people, like we're individuals first, right? But I definitely fit into what this research says that um, neurotypicals will be honest in public and lie in private autistics will be honest in public and be honest in private. Um, and so many jobs, and this is a frustration I hear from a lot of autistic people that I think maybe neurotypical people just don't interrogate or think about. Um, so many jobs require dishonesty. So like the diamond industry, right, is a really good example of maybe I'm not lying outright, but these things weren't sourced ethically at all. They're upholding slavery and colonialism and all this crappy labor law stuff that I don't really want to be a part of, even though my salary is good <laughs> and my health insurance is good. Like I'm hurting other people by taking this job. Um, and also just being, and this is just me personally, being somewhat anti-capitalist despite having to live in a capitalist society. Um, I mean, the closest thing I can get to personally in a way that I can be comfortable living is to be a capitalist that gives as much money away as I possibly can and, you know, tries to um, at least not live greedily, you know? Um, and I say this as with full awareness that I'm an American and we are the greediest. We are the greediest. I'm getting a little off topic, but um, ethics are important to a lot of us. And ethics are important to neurotypical people too. But I do think that there's a difference in cognitive style when it comes to ethics and honesty um, in the job and that a lot of the sort of smoothing over or highlighting aspects of your job and, and, uh, low lighting other aspects of your job that neurotypicals engage in, uh, autistics just don't want to do that. We don't want to lie to our bosses about how the project is going. We don't want to say this aspect is doing really well and just totally not bring up the part that it's the other part is totally falling over behind your back, right? Um, we don't want to lie to customers. 
Um, we don't want to sell people like extra stuff we know is not going to support them. Um, so there's a lot of, I mean, I probably don't have to go into this too much more, but there's a lot of ethical diciness and a lot of traditional labor in the United States, especially. And, um, a lot of us just feel ooky participating in that. And again, it's not to say neurotypical people don't, but we're already struggling with all these social communication and emotional differences and not being supported in those differences in anywhere, <laughs> anywhere outside of our own homes. And so especially in the workplace, when we're being asked to mask, we're being asked to communicate and, uh, you know, be, have a certain style about us. We're being asked to adapt neurotypical styles. Um, we're already under a lot of burden and having to lie on top of that, it just sucks. It's just awful. And so a lot of autistic people just won't do it. And that means we're less employable and it means we're not going to get promoted. And it means um, lots of negative things for our, um, our workplace opportunities. How's that? Okay. I quit the, I quit the temp diamond gig because it was like, no, this is not a good fit. And I eventually landed in an office job where I worked. Um, I started at 40 hours a week. I could not maintain it. I couldn't maintain it. And so I went down to, I think, 25 hours a week, something like that, which obviously I did not make enough money at all. Um, I really struggled with my finances at that time, but I couldn't hold a 40 hour work week. I want to break this down a little bit more because I think that this is something that is a little bit more complex than just fatigue. So when you think about the 40 hour work week, um, at least in my, uh, at this time in my life, I was walking from my apartment to work. It was like a mile walk. And then I would work, I think my shift was like 10 to four or something. And then I worked four days a week. It was, it was, that's roughly it. What it did. And again, these problems are the same. For some neurotypical people, but I think that they compound when you're dealing with other autistic traits and clusters of, of traits. Um, you are actively on. <laughs> you are actively customer servicey. Even if you're in an office, if you have to talk to coworkers, if you have to talk to employers, um, if your manager, right? Uh, if you have to talk to clients, right? Um, you have to be customer service forward the whole day, right? Which is exhausting for autistic people. And we've talked about masking. This is sometimes called masking or camouflaging. Um, and I've talked about it a little bit in other episodes and I'll put some links below, but if you're not familiar with masking or camouflaging, I'm not going to talk about it too much in this episode, but it's this idea that you put this face on so that you fit in better with neurotypical norms, right? So, um, and I do it a little bit automatically and I'm trying to break myself of it, but it's again, 20 years before I, you know, was identified autistic and, um, I don't always notice I'm doing it, but this idea that you're not just allowed to talk with a flat face, right? You're not allowed to say, hi, manager, how are you? The way I just did, um, especially as an American. And my, my foreign friends might know the stereotype that Americans have to be big and happy all the time, but we do. And it is horrible for us autistics, I'll tell you. So in America, um, even at work with not, when you're not in a client forward facing position, even when you are just uh, with your managers and your coworkers, you're still expected to communicate um, and, and this is furthered by if you're an AFAB or presenting as a woman kind of person, um, even more, you're supposed to present uh, with a smile, with your eyes kind of up like this. If you're watching the video, you can see. 
Um, and you're supposed to make eye contact and look at the person and smile at them. And it is exhausting. It is exhausting. So masking for a length of time is hard for an autistic, but especially to do it for eight hours a day for five days a week is just not manageable. It is too tiring. And we're not only masking, but we're trying to get our work done at the same time. So you're asking us to mask, to communicate like a neurotypical, and to work like a neurotypical in some ways, um, all on top of dealing with the amount of fatigue that we have to deal with when we have to. You're asking us to work in a on a foreign planet, basically, for, for eight hours a day. Um, it's just It's just too much. And that's not even counting all the other workplace stresses that we have to deal with as autistics. And so autistic fatigue is real and autistic burnout is real, but it is compounded by expectations at work, social expectations and, and communication expectations at work um, that just don't match with autistic norms and autistic styles. And it just makes it, it compounds again, the difficulty that a lot of us have at work. Another thing I wanna talk about a little bit more directly is communication challenges. So you might notice that I'm pretty verbal um, and I don't, I have, episodes of mutism, but it's not um, overwhelming in my life. Um, and it's not something I have to deal with as often as I hear other autistics have to um, or, or end up with. Um, but I want to talk more about communication challenges specifically. So first of all, like I just said, a lot of autistics have selective mutism is sometimes called. But basically periods where we're not able to be verbal or where we can be verbal, but it's so hard that it's not worth doing. Um, and different people label these different things, right? And of course, then there are autistics who just don't speak, who are non-speaking autistics, um, who use different manners of communication, like sign language or AAC devices or writing or all sorts of different things. So there's a lot of communication variation in autistic population that are mostly not acceptable <laughs> in a workplace, which, you know, is ableism at its finest, right? Um, but even for somebody like me, who looks quote unquote neurotypical in a lot of ways and communicates neurotypically in a lot of ways, I still have trouble with communication in the workplace. And a lot of this comes down to, and I've talked about this a lot before, um, and I'll put some resources below, but a lot of this comes down to the way neurotypicals communicate about uh, the actual job they want to get, get done and how much extra information they give you sometimes that is just not necessary. And so then I have to process it. It's just, so let me give you an example. So I'm sitting at my desk and somebody comes up and says, you know, here's the file for this client that's coming in and we need you to, you know, check this with the insurance and check this with this. And can you fax this over to Sandy and can you whatever? And there's your list of tasks that you're given that it's like, okay, I now need to accomplish these tasks. Check. But then they keep going and they ask, well, what are you going to do for lunch? And you know, did I tell you about, can we talk about the game last night? And did you, you know, see the weather forecast for this weekend? And now you're trying to remember all these tasks they just gave you, which they did not write down because they think that you're an auditory processor, but you have auditory processing disorder. So of course, like everything is just harder. Um, and you're not only supposed to remember these tasks and it would be rude to look away and like start writing because then you couldn't listen to them and they're still talking. So you're supposed to listen to them but that means you're probably going to forget the tasks. But if you write the tasks, then they'll know you're not paying attention and they'll think you're rude. So you're like every day in this conundrum. If you listen to them, they are giving you totally irrelevant information 
about what they think about football, the weather, which you could look up on your own, thank you, and whatever else I just said. <laughs> I just like already forgot. Um, every communication experience an autistic has to go through in the workplace with a neurotypical person who doesn't understand their styles is so hard. We are dealing with so much. The number of us who also have auditory processing issues or sensory processing issues is obscene. Like it's a huge percentage of autistics who are also dealing with these issues. Um, and the way neurotypicals communicate doesn't make any sense to our brains. You give us a lot of information. Some of it is relevant and some of it is not. And sometimes we're supposed to be able to sort it and we make wrong, we, we guess wrong, right? Um, so I, maybe the weather actually was important that one time, but since the weather is usually not important, I ignored it this one time. And now I'm going to look like a fool next week when it turns out that there was something important I was supposed to have done that was mixed in with the weather conversation. Do you see what I mean? So it just gets very overwhelming and very frustrating very quickly. Another thing that is common for neurotypicals, and I've mentioned this in a couple of podcasts, is using figurative language, using uh, metaphor and simile, um, over what's hyperbole. I couldn't think of the word for a minute. So overstating the thing, which I'm, I do all the time. Like you have heard me do it. So I'm not saying autistics don't do this too. Um, but that in the workplace, when you are already kind of fatigued and already dealing with a lot of, uh, inputs, sensory and emotional inputs, um, sorting through figurative language is hard for a lot of us. For a lot of us and so there's actually a really 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 good book i'm so glad it exists i want to throw it at everyone i meet there's your hyperbole for you um that talks about how communication especially speech and written communication is different between a lot of autistic people and a lot of allistic people and so i'm going to put a link for that uh in the description down below um it's it's a fantastic book and it has it's very short and it has um, like specific examples in it. And I just love it so much. So uh, if you feel like you might benefit from <laughs> having such a book, it's useful for autistics too, because you can actually hand it. If you have a manager who like means well and just doesn't have the education, you can hand it to the people you work with and they will learn a lot about how to support you in the workplace. So I'll put the link down below. Okay, that's communication challenges. I also just want to talk about sensory inputs. So I worked in offices, I worked in bakeries, I worked in restaurant environments, I worked in that um, jewelry place, like I said, um, and then I worked teaching and I worked um, as a grad student. So those are kind of a broad range of the places that I have tried to work. And obviously now I work from home. Uh, sensory input is a huge challenge for a lot of autistic people, as I just mentioned with communication, right? A lot of us struggle with sensory overwhelm. Um, if there's a lot of noise, if there's a lot of busy talk that doesn't really mean anything, but we're not quite allowed to tune it out, um, that's sensory overwhelm right there. Buzzing lights, right? those fluorescent lights. Um, people cleaning the windows. <laughs> um, Roombas and other sort of little cleaning machines um, make a lot of noise. Just people talking and the echoing of people can be overwhelming. Um, pens clicking, staples, um, you know, people coughing. These are all sensory inputs that we are dealing with. We also in a workplace often don't have um, the ability to control the temperature, right? So it might be too hot, it might be too cold. You might have a dress code that you have to maintain even if you are physically uncomfortable, even if those clothes are scratchy, right? I worked, uh, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts when I was uh, in my early 20s and there was a dress code 
and the bottom um, was khaki pants and you could buy your own khaki pants but I could not find khaki pants that were soft enough and so every shift I was uncomfortable because even though I had control quote-unquote over my clothes in that sense uh, it turns out I just don't like khaki pants at all, at all, even to this day. They are not comfortable for me. So even sensory overwhelm from our clothing can be huge for autistic people. When you're thinking about the office environment, even if you're working construction, you're working in a bakery like I did. In the bakery, you know, part of my tasks were to make batters and cookie doughs, which is obviously a highly sensory experience. The electric mixers were constantly going to make buttercreams. They are loud, you guys, the motors in those things. There are people all around talking. Sometimes you're trying to help a customer while also checking on a loud mixer, which is heck if you have auditory processing issues like I do. Um, there's the beeping from the oven timers. There's when you wash the dishes, having to use the bakery soap, which was not soap I liked, right? So there's all the sensory input that is just impossible to manage for a lot of autistic people, even though the tasks themselves are completely doable. The, um, the sensory aspects of the tasks are not manageable. Okay. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is that we have four in the, in a neurotypical world, we have atypical, um, cycles of rest and work. So when I worked, I worked at a restaurant that was a, a restaurant in Philadelphia called Sweeties which is sorely missed. The people who were there with me were fantastic. Um, and I was hired as a front, like front of house um, person. And then for various reasons, ended up basically doing whatever job was open that day. So I would run the front desk. I would decorate. I would bake. I would prep cook. Um, I would waitress. And it actually worked really well for me because it was a very small restaurant. It wasn't that loud. There were only like two or three other people that worked there. Um, and so it was a nice kind of close knit, community um, where I wasn't constantly overwhelmed and, and barraged by sensory input. Um, but what I did notice was that, and I don't know like how the owner identifies in terms of neurotypes, so I don't want to speak for them, um, but I wanted to come on shift and I wanted to be given enough tasks to fill up my whole shift. And if we had a slow point, I was like, hey, does anyone need chopping done? Does anyone, do we need to decorate? Like, can I box orders? Like, can I do something? Because I do not like to be at work and not working. Um, and some of that is anxiety, but I think some of it is also just the, the neurodivergent norm of wanting to be on task. And if I've structured my day in this way, where this is work time, I want to be working. Because if I'm not working, what am I supposed to be doing, right? Um, you don't have, it can be hard to, have that kind of autistic interest in maintaining a structure and maintaining a routine and then have that routine broken because there's just not enough clients that day. There's not enough customers to like make more salad, but then what am I supposed to do? And, um, I drove the manager like kind of up the wall. Like she, she was super nice and this is not like, I, I loved her so much. Um, and I'm so glad we got to work together. But I think I drove her a little bit up the wall because anytime I finished a task, I was like, okay, what can I do next? Um, and she was just like, you know, oh, Danielle, you need more things to do already. Like, come on, like, just relax. And I was like, I don't really want to relax. Could I please like, you know, <laughs> I please like organize some silverware or something like, can you give me something to do? Um, and she would send me on errands, I think, just to give me things to do. Um, and, um, this was again before I was diagnosed, so I didn't have this framework. And I was just like, why doesn't, why isn't everyone like this? Like, 
when you're working, you should work. And when you're not working, you should not work. And now I know that that is really atypical, that a lot of autistics are like that. But neurotypicals um, have very different patterns. They'll work for a bit, they'll rest for a bit and chat. They'll work for a bit, they'll rest for a bit. Um, I just want to do all the work at once and then take a good break and not work at all for the whole rest of the day. Um, and that is an atypical work pattern, right? A lot of us also, like I was talking about before, have different um, types of energy and different types of fatigue. So when we are tired, we are tired. And when we are on, we are on. And I think my experience at Sweeties is a good example of that. Of If I showed up for work that day, I was there to work. And I was in this environment that was my work environment. And so I was primed mentally to like be doing tasks the whole day. Then when I got home, I was in my different space and I was primed to chill out and read a book and not do anything. And I had a hard time understanding that um, neurotypical brains don't work that way in the, in the most part. And again, we are a spectrum of a diverse individuals and I'm just speaking for myself. Many autistic people have... Um, rest and work um, frames that look more like neurotypical ones than mine do, but that was my experience working. So there are a lot of reasons, to wrap up, I'll just say, there are a lot of reasons that I can't work a traditional quote-unquote job. I had trouble in office environments. Outside of Sweeties, I had trouble in restaurant and bakery environments because they were so busy and uh, they were requiring a lot from me. The social needs of neurotypical people are past my ability to handle in a lot of ways. The ethics issues are huge um, in a lot of neurotypical workplaces. So all of these things together just make it overwhelming to consider work in the traditional way. I am very lucky and I think the reason to get back to the very beginning of this episode when people email me and they're like, how do you get so much done? The reason I get so much done is that I don't conform to neurotypical norms and like, that's kind of a point of pride, but it's also a huge privilege. It's not something that most people can manage to do. I homeschool my kids. I work from home. I literally stay in this room for most of the day, most weeks, for most of the month. And I am super happy to do it. But a neurotypical hearing that, if you're hearing that and you're a neurotypical, I know you're like, ah, staying in one room for a month. Like, that's not healthy. Maybe if you're a neurotypical, it's not, right? And that's okay. But if you're autistic like me, this is a space of comfort. This place has my food and my drinks. No one is interrupting my thought process. No one is making me make faces that I don't like. I can, I can set up the sensory inputs in here in a way that supports me and manage. I can manage my own schedule. So I'm working during high points of energy and not working during low points of energy with nobody else organizing my time, right? except for my kids. And they're like a different, <laughs> you know, as a parent, obviously, like, so there are lots of ways that I have modified my work experience from the quote unquote conventional work experience, because I have the privilege to do that. But most people can't just opt out of conventional work experience. Most people who, um, work, work because they need, they need the income, obviously. Um, and that means that they are putting up with huge amounts of challenges, um, as autistics and, you know, other neurodivergent people have to deal with this as well. But as my experience as an autistic person, um, I hope that talking through some of my work experience and some of the stuff I've dealt with and some of the stuff that's been harmful and hurt, hurts me, or made it more difficult for my mental health and my well-being, um, just gives you an idea 
especially if you're a neurotypical listener, about what your autistic colleagues are going through trying to work in places that are not built for them and not built for us. Um, and I hope this will also help some folks think through um, why it's so important. I mean, I've talked on this podcast a couple of times. I brought a couple of guests on about autism in the workplace, neurodiversity in the workplace. It is so important to get um, consultants to have people who understand our experiences of neurodivergent people in the workplace and who can come in and help you modify your workplaces so that we can handle it better. Because like, I'm a good worker. I think I've made it obvious. Like, and my, I think my clients would agree. I hope you are listening to this podcast. You must think it has some value, right? This is a product of my work. I am very able in lots of ways. Could I do this podcast in a traditional studio environment where I had to deal with other people telling me what to do? No, I probably couldn't. I probably couldn't. Would it maybe be a better podcast if I could? Yes, right? But I have to um, work with what I can do. And so many of us autistic people are working with what we can manage. Um, and that's why when you don't see us promoted, when you don't see us even in the workplace, when people don't let us wear ear defenders, when people don't let us have our drinks next to us, when people don't let us have sweaters even or wear the pants that we want to wear, this interferes in our ability to produce good results for you. And this means that it looks like disabled people can't work. And it's like, no, <laughs> we can work fine. We're just not supported at all, at all, right? Um, and again, just to acknowledge the immense amount of privilege. I am a college educated, I have a master's degree person. I am white, you might notice. I pass as a woman. Um, I have, I live in Colorado. I have a partner who works full time, who is able to provide a lot of our family income, right? Not, not all of it, but quite a bit of it. So huge amounts, we own our own house, right? I can organize my house because I'm not living in an apartment. I used to live in apartments and it was mostly fine, but there's like a lot of sensory input with apartments in a city that you can't manage, um, your, like that you can't control. Um, I now live in a house and I can control the noise in my house, right? Um, so the more privilege you have, the more control you have over all these circumstances. So those of us who are, if I, someone like me who is highly privileged had this much trouble at work, just think about everybody else who is not this privileged, um, who is struggling so hard to show you what we can do and everything we could accomplish as autistics in the workplace. So anyway, I hope this was helpful for some of you. I hope it answered some questions about, um, how work is like for a lot of us autists who are really trying uh, our best to get good jobs, to get jobs we enjoy just like everybody else is, and to contribute uh, for so many of us, contributing to the larger human community is a huge goal for us. That's something I notice time and time again in my coaching clients is when we're looking at values and personal values, so many people say social justice and contributing to the community are values that I are in my top five, right? We want to contribute. But we're not allowed to right now based on how the workplace is set up for us. And so if you work somewhere that you think might be hostile to autistic people, talk to HR, talk to managers, talk, like, you know, see what you can do. Even little things can make a huge difference. Um, there are lots of resources, lots of great ones. And we've had a couple of guests, too, that if you haven't heard their podcast, I highly recommend if you're thinking about how you can improve the workplace for neurodivergent people. Um, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. My email is down below if you have any questions or if, I, if you have ideas for future podcast episodes or anything else. And please come join us on the Patreon Discord for a dollar a month at Neurodiverging 
or sorry, patreon.com slash neurodiverging. You can also go to neurodiverging.com and sign up for the mailing list. And that is no money at all per month. Um, and that will give you a heads up on some of the cool stuff we're doing around here. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. And please remember, we are all in this together. <laughs>